Hey, everybody. Absolutely fantastic show with Elio Trades. I think that we're going to be doing this show regularly on Twitter Spaces. It's in a new time slot, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, co-hosted with Elio Trades, who is prolific crypto YouTuber. He's incredibly knowledgeable. And we talk about all things crypto, Web3, finance, macroeconomics, and video games on this show. It's packed with content. It's very insightful. Nick's funny as hell the whole time. We think it's the start of something that's going to be really great. So we really hope you enjoy it. Good afternoon to all the East Coasters. Good morning to the West Coasters. Welcome to a new time slot. This is the Web3 show with Elio Trades. I'm P.O. here with my co-host, the one and only Elio Trades and Nifty Nick. Uh, For those of you that don't know us, me and Nick are the co-founders of the Nifty and we run the NFT morning show at 9 a.m. Eastern time. A lot of West Coasters might not know that. And if you don't know Elio Trades, well, he's one of the most prolific and popular YouTubers in the crypto Web3 space. He's the founder of Imposters, which is a game that's actually fun to play and actually exists, which is a rarity in the NFT space, if you ask me. Um, and of course, the founder of Super Farm Dow, an incredibly successful uh, individual in his own right. We also have NFT God, the author of the biggest newsletter in the NFT space and a friend of ours, a friend of Elio's, uh, Signal, the co-host of our morning show and you know, valued team member at the Nifty, one of the best analysts in the Web3 space when it comes to analyzing the NFT market. And we got my guy Nucci, a fellow podcaster. Every Everybody knows that I love podcasters. He's a West Coast guy, so we got his ass out of bed since he won't get up at 6 a.m. because he doesn't have the mentality of a champion. Uh, before I go any further, I mean, I got to throw to my new my new co-host, my new compadre. Yo, what's going on, P.O.? Thank you so much for having me. Um, honestly, I've just been a, such a big fan of these spaces in the morning. It's been such a dose of energy, so I'm just excited to participate here uh, and really just see what we can do in this new format. So um, I'm going to be doing my best here to bring um, my perspective uh, to this amazing show that you guys have created and your audience, and hopefully we can create something special. Uh, what's going on with you, Nick? Uh, well, I'm uh, packing. I'm getting ready to get on an airplane after over a week in Vegas, which is really exciting, uh, but I didn't get too crazy. I just hung out in a hotel room. <laughs> so Elio, you know, uh, people might not be familiar in the NFT space just because uh, the crypto and NFT spaces are kind of segmented. You've been a crypto YouTuber for years at this point. I feel like right, you know, you came in right as the bear market of the last crypto cycle was starting. And now, you know, we're kind of entering the the conclusion of the first NFT cycle, so to speak, and another crypto cycle in itself. Like one thing we were talking to Crypto Kaleo, who's like big into crypto, uh, you know, technical analysis on the morning show, was whether we've seen bottom. His school of thought is he thinks that we have. You and I were talking yesterday, and you, I, I know you have a big thesis for where we're at right now with the markets. I'd love to know, you know, where you think that we're at in the kind of crypto cycle, whether we've seen bottom, um, and just kind of like what you think the climate is for the markets right now in general. God damn it. <laughs> Getting off the mute button was uh, was tricky there. Anyway, uh, the point is, uh, I wanted to touch, like, there's a few things there. One is, 
like last bear market, I pretty much like ate ramen noodles for four years and did the thing. And, uh, and yeah, like I, I emerged out the other side and I see a lot of people out here really grinding and really putting in the work during these tricky times. And those were the people who really emerged, uh, last cycle. And I could name them on, you know, pretty much one or two hands, the people who did this and they are all, you know, extremely, extremely successful now in their own right. And so I'm, I'm really, really excited to see what this new class of entrepreneur creators do. And I think you guys are all doing the right things. Um, and it's an even higher level than it was last, last cycle by a significant margin. So shout out to everyone continuing to grind. Um, as far as the cycle, you know, it's, it's definitely one of those things where we have a new set of rules, right? Where before it was a pretty much crypto native cycle, where the only rules that you needed to pay attention to were within the building. And so you had, you know, how many Bitcoin miners were underwater? Like what was their profitability? You had like on-chain metrics, you had, uh, you know, overextended alts and sort of like how the ICO cycle went and all these different sort of factors that were crypto native. And that's all you really had to know was that crypto is a bullish asset class and, you know, by the dip. And then now we have this sort of like boogeyman coming in and saying, well, actually, you know, all risk assets and all different sort of, um, you know, up only type of assets, uh, real estate stocks, uh, crypto, anything with risk involved is now getting hit hard. And so you had to learn this sort of new playbook, which is the macro playbook, which only really comes into play every couple of decades or so. And to me, it really was something I hated. I actually, one of the people on my research team was heavy into this macro stuff. Um, and I kind of shut them down all throughout October and November as they were bringing up these sort of macro red flags to me in 2021. Um, but I had someone on my team being like, look, this is like a really big deal. And this is all about to happen. And I sort of just dusted them off. And uh, now I've, I've really been happy that I've learned it. Um, uh, I don't want to like monologue too much. So maybe there, if there's a specific thing you want to know, I could jump into more detail. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're sort of, we're sort of in the thick of it right now, uh, to, to answer your question. And it's one of those times where it's the most frustrating time because there's no clear direction. The news stories have been exhausted. Um, you know, all of the sort of different pieces of the puzzle have been covered ad nauseum and the dopamine is, is slowly receding from the industry, all, all industries. Um, and so that's kind of the moment we're in where it's kind of like the, the internal battle to stay engaged and to not sort of take an aggressive position. That's where we're at, the, the sort of frustration moment. Yeah. And, and so like the, the macro environment right now is much different than the previous two cycles, right? Like we're in a risk off macro environment uh, versus risk on for the previous two. Do you feel like, like if you had a gun to your head, do you think we've seen the bottom of this cycle as far as crypto assets go? Yeah, gun to my head, no, because the reality is, is that we haven't seen the bottom as far as like risk assets yet. We haven't seen what a quote recession that everyone's been saying that we're going to slip into yet. And if you guys have been paying attention, every single week we see a revision by the quote unquote experts as to how bad things will be. And I don't know if like I wasn't here for the 28, uh, 2008 uh, great financial crisis, but from the beginning, everyone said, no, 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 real estate's not going to go down. It's not 2008. No, no, no. All these things aren't going to go no, 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 this isn't 2008. Here's why it's different. Um, and every week they're like, well, actually, maybe it's worse than 2008. And so it's just one of those things where um, it's pretty clear that, you know, the the quote unquote experts are sort of the business model is to uh, perpetuate the bull market narrative. And that really the, um, you know, the markets tend to react to every piece of new data as if it never existed. So I don't think anything's priced in. I think we still need to see where the sort of economy goes and, and we need to see sort of like how this cycle results 
resolves and patience. Patience is the one thing I wish I had had preached to me in 2018 because I got completely clobbered. I kept buying every dip, every dip, every dip. And I wish I just chilled, you know, I'd wish I just sat on the sidelines and kept making content and kept staying excited and just waited for a resolution. Um, because at the bottom, I knew it was the bottom. Everyone knew it was the bottom. It was like, okay, <laughs> this is the price to buy. Like when, when Bitcoin was in the 3000s, everyone was like, oh my God, where's all my money? I want to just buy. And so there was definitely this, like there was no question that people wanted to go crazy, but I had turned all my money into, into dust by that point. And so I was really, you know, comparatively. And so I just wished I had waited or at least just, you know, what I thought was, you know, already down bad would have gotten me so many more coins at the bottom. So that's just where I'm coming at it from. I've been hurt before. And I and and I'm just sort of trying to play this slow and steady uh, game through the bear market as we resolve. So gun to my head, no. Um, I do think that we'll see at the very least a lot of drawn out, slow um, accumulation. But I wouldn't be surprised to see another lurch lower. It sounds like last time then you were buying and the dip kept on dipping. I'd love to know what Nick thinks of this. You know, as I mentioned on the morning show, Crypto Kaleo thinks that we've already seen bottom. I think he's he's approaching it from a pure play crypto perspective. I think I don't want to speak for him, but when I listen to him talk about it, I feel like that's the perspective. He said basically barring a black swan event, and obviously there's potential for a black swan event. Um, he feels like we've seen bottom. Nick, you've been saying that you're expecting another drawdown, it maybe another 50%. Like, what do you think based on what Elio's talking about? Uh, well, Elio's comment was interesting. First, I was going to say something on that, but then there's uh, the two, I don't know, the, I've, I'm seeing two uh, uh, narratives or sort of takes on, on things. But uh, the one thing that Elio just mentioned was like with the 2008 financial crisis, like everything happened in a matter of like days. Like it, it was. <clears throat> it was basically contagion and fear of contagion. And then what happened was uh, the government stepped in with like TARP and all these other things. So they just bailed out the banks. The, all that stuff happened within like an insanely short period of time. And so, uh, and, and like, pretty, like there wasn't, yes, there was, uh, th there was some stuff that was drawn out, um, and, and you actually had crypto sort of rise out of that uh, point in time because people were like, man, fuck the banks. Why are these people getting bailed out? You had those like uh, uh, the, the I'm blanking on the name of the anti Wall Street people, but the, the people camping there um, and the same thing I remember in D.C. But all that stuff happened like really quickly. Uh, and 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 then like the implications of it were more political uh, than anything else. Um, there were definitely layoffs and there were some pain, painful aspects of that um, that appeared to be more reactionary than anything else. Uh, but they just all got bailed out. And I think we were in, again, yet another like, oh, we're screwed, you know, print money, bail people out. The, the, that approach that we used with COVID is the exact same thing. So anyways, so I, I agree with what, he's, with what El, uh, Elliot just said, which is basically... Um, we don't have all the information right now. We don't know how long this is going to last. Uh, we don't know the implications of all the actions being taken uh, in the past and right now. We can make a guess, but nobody knows. And then uh, in terms of uh, two sides that I'm seeing, one is uh, charts which go back and compare right now to the 2008 collapse. Um, the 300-day moving average charts with us hovering below that 
and uh, seeing what happens after that is one common narrative that I've seen. And all the charts basically show you dropping another like 30, 40%. And there's a lot of bears that I've seen say the exact same thing uh, with the S&P 500. There's another stat that came out, which was like, uh, and I'm, I, I don't know the exact thing, but basically it was like X number of days uh, from when the market drops 5% or, uh, or more um, that basically you hit the bottom. And, and I saw, I don't remember the number of days, I don't remember the exact stat, but I've seen this thing circulated, whatever that stat is, maybe someone else knows. And it's like dots on the chart, which is like, we're perfectly at the bottom. So I've seen both of those things. My own opinion is that we haven't seen the bottom. But uh, I historically, it's easy to be bearish when the market is bearish. It's easy to be bullish when the market is bullish. So it generally is uh, uh, like that take is biased basically by existing sentiment. But uh, that, that is my, my position at the moment. Nick's had good instincts a bunch of times. He bought the the literal fucking bottom of CryptoPunk, so that was impressive. Um, and I always value what he thinks. I want to get back to Elio in a second, but we got my guy NFT God on stage, the author of the NFT God newsletter. I love content creators that write, because if you can write, then you can think, and you got a brain in your head. NFT God's known for hot takes too, buddy. What's going on, NFT God? Yeah, Tio, here's my hot take for you. Uh... <laughs> and I, I mean this with all due respect. Like, well, are you, I, is, it, is your hot take going to be that I suck? Well, why are you telling me all due respect? Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you know, you, <laughs> no, you don't suck. I just think the question sucks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> not really. Uh, I, I kind of hate when people ask the question, like, do you think we hit the bottom or not? Uh, because <laughs> that is – anyone who tells you they know if they hit the bottom or not is lying. Me too. It, it, it's impossible. <laughs> Like, there's no way anyone knows that, right? So the way I like to approach it is that of, like, a poker player. I've played a ton of poker in my time, and I always think it's, like, the best thought system to approach it like a poker player when it comes to the markets. So you kind of, like, look at your pot odds, right? And so you never know what that last card's going to be that comes out. You don't know if it's the bottom or not, but what you can do is place appropriate bets based on the other cards out there. And right now, the other cards out there are a war in Russia that could potentially become massive, uh, you know, inflation that refuses to tick down, um, you know, jobs numbers that look strong right now, but seem to be heading in the wrong direction. Uh, and, and so what you look at is if you place a bet now, you're basically placing a bet that you're going to hit a straight flush, flush on the river. And that's just not like a bet I want to make. I'd rather like fold and save my money. And so it's a, it's a kind of wrap it up. Like, you don't know what that last card's going to be, but you want to place bets based on, you know, what the pot odds are, what the other cards out there and be responsible based on that. And to me, there's just way too many headwinds right now to place that big bet. So I'm sitting on the sideline, I'm folding and I'm, as you said, focusing completely on, on content creation because that's where I think the, the strongest pot odds are. I mean, who, I like who let this bear on stage. I mean, <laughs> my God. Wow. Talk about negativity. I'm about to jump out this window right now. <laughs> So, hey, look, I, we got to hear every angle and you can be bearish. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, that that's the that's the deal. Um, I'm hanging on what Elio is going to say, but I want to throw to Signal because Signal is going to have limited reception because she's on a train. But let's see if we can get her for a minute. Signal, any thoughts on what we're discussing? Yeah, it's good. Um, NFT, God, I can't hear you. So if I say something you've already said, um, sorry, but the, like, the take that I have here is that essentially – 
if you look at the data, institutional clients have already sold out of equities, the majority of them. Um, if you look at what dip, like bonds are paying now versus what equities are paying now is actually more attractive to be in bonds. So from that perspective, what is happening now is that retail have the bag. They have the equity bag. And what needs to happen is retail need to feel poor. They need to feel that their um, that their profits are being eroded, that essentially there's no hope, there's no optimism in the market. And when retail feels that, that's when you're going to see the switch. And I like, I like, I don't think we're quite there yet. The numbers are showing that retail are still um, have a huge holding in equities. And once the numbers change, I think that's when you'll see uh, a shift in equity holdings, therefore crypto, and then obviously having um, a effect on our NFT bags as well. So I'm with Elio and NFT God uh, on, on this. I don't think we've seen whatever you want to term the bottom yet. And also in yeah. finance, October tends to be one of the worst months ever. It just has a history of this. Just to recap what Signal said, shout out to all my retail people. Y'all are a bunch of dumb idiot losers <laughs> who are about to go broke. <laughs> Thank you, Signal, for saying exactly what Nick said that you said. I got to go back to my guy, Elio. Uh, Elio, what's on your mind? Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. I did actually a video on what Signal was talking about last week called, um, uh, it was just about how effectively retail needs to, needs to capitulate, right? And the fact that you're seeing the biggest inflows, something like, I forgot, I forgot the stat. It was something like billions of dollars flowing into things like ARK Invest and, and you know, like the, the typical sort of like retail FOMO bags that worked throughout uh, the last cycle. And uh, the buy the dip mentality hasn't switched to sell the rally mentality. Um, and, uh, and yeah, effectively retail are the last ones there. And the wealth effect as like property values drop and all that, um, we'll see what happens. I hope I'm wrong. But what I'm really looking forward to, uh, not looking forward to, what I'm looking for is my new sort of mentality has been understanding like this whole bond market, which is probably the most boring thing in the world. And um, it's the most relevant thing right now because that's the market kind of driving all of these high level decisions. If you guys remember, Japan flipped the money printer on to buy their own bonds because when bond yields get too high, the whole system becomes unstable. I'm not going to explain it all right now. Um, that's what happened in Bank of England. Uh, if you guys remember last week, they said pension funds or insurance funds have like three days to sell everything. Um, and they, they did not mean that. It was not ironic. Like they actually came out and were like, you have three days to dump it all and we'll buy it all back from you. And then after that, we're going to shut it off. So do it right now. Um, that literally happened yes, uh, last week. Um, and now um, what you're seeing is uh, that's the last country on earth to do that will be the United States. But that's kind of like the theory right now is at a certain point, bond yields will get so high um, because people are believing interest uh, or inflation will be so high that to buy those bonds, they need more and more and more yield. Um, and when that happens, that moment sort of begins to me the process of, uh, of once again, uh, you know, in expanding the money supply and sending our bags effectively. So that's what I'm looking for is to see. I don't think the Fed's just going to start flipping on QE like they did before. It's not going to be palatable. Um, but what they will do is they will support the bond market. And so that's the one thing that I'm really looking forward to. And I think that's really the, the key uh, indicator that regardless of where we are, whether we're at 19K or 30K or 12K, I don't know. But when the, when the United States does that, to me, that's like the bat signal. Yeah, and I just invited Spencer. I see Spencer in the crowd. I'd imagine uh, that he'd have something to weigh in on this too. Uh, I want to throw to Nucci. I love what you said about the bond market. When you, if you ask like a hardcore Bitcoiner what they think is going to happen long term, 
like over 25, 50 years, they're going to tell you that they think that the capital that's in the bond market is going to flow into Bitcoin. I think if you're just like a general crypto person or an ETH person, you could think that it's just going to flow into the general uh, crypto ecosystem. But that's something that the Bitcoiners have been banging the drum of uh, for for probably like a half a decade, specifically on the bond thing. Uh, Nucci, you have your hand raised. We don't get to make content, Nucci. You're too busy being on the West Coast, not waking up early enough. But we got to hang out in Vegas. I learned that you're a former magician. You're just a character. Uh, love you, buddy. What's going on? Hey, Pio. Uh, great conversation, guys. Yeah, a lot of fun to chat. Uh, yeah, if you ask Bitcoiners what's going to happen, uh, everything's going to go to zero except for Bitcoin. Um, every coin. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the, you're not wrong. I was a Bitcoiner for a minute there, and then uh, my eyes opened a little bit. But um, so this is super interesting. I used to be really into macro, um, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. Uh, some of my favorite people to follow in, in that world are Luke Roman and Lynn Alden. I've learned like a wealth of information from those two. Admittedly, haven't paid as much attention in the past six to nine months. I've just been completely in NFT land. Um, so this is a really refreshing conversation for me. I have a question for, for Elliot just because um, it seems like he's a lot like been paying quite a bit of attention to it. Uh, one of my favorite uh people in the space also is is ray dalio he's got some stuff i love and some stuff i'm like kind of mad on but one he has this video called how the economic machine works and it's this really if you guys haven't watched it i highly recommend it. it's 30 minutes on youtube and it basically i know it's longer than like any piece of content anyone has consumed in the past five years but anyways how the economic machine works it basically describes how um our the the, the the cycle of our economy works and like there's a buildup of debt and leverage in the system and about every decade it gets flushed out in a recession and that repeats every five to 10 years or 10 or 20 years. And as that happens uh, with each flush out of leverage, uh, the, the leverage actually grows in each recession. So like, yeah, you clear most of it out, but there's still some there. And each time you have a recession, it doesn't fully wipe out the debt. It actually gets larger each recession until you for about, about every century you have a depression. And I'm just curious, is this a, leverage buildup situation or is this like a confluence of uh a, a bunch of bad decisions that don't really have as much to do with leverage um in terms of, of money printing qe and kicking the can down the road with uh COVID and all that so just kind of curious where you think we are within a broader cycle so to speak Elio? yeah yeah so without a doubt you're having the you're, you have like several intersecting crises which is what makes this so fun and also so hard to predict so you have obviously the the war um you have the energy crisis which is partly a product of the war um and then you know also you could argue um and i know this one's you know gets gets really ruffles feathers but you know the esg uh, the, the green agenda and all these things you could argue that all these things coalesce to make it so that there's a real energy shortage um then you also have the what i think of as probably the the least understood and most important one which is now the sovereign debt crisis which is what the bond market is right and so you have the sovereign debt crisis you have personal uh debt crisis you have just like the overall debt crisis um where you have like uncharted levels of debt um uh, you know across the board like you were saying there's a leverage buildup and there needs to be a washout um you also have it now at the sovereign level like in 2008 it was the banks 
Now it's countries that will need to get bailed out. And that process is not as easy to fix at all. Um, and that's where you'll start to see like different types of money printing at, at a much bigger scale, like you're seeing in Japan. Um, and so there, there's several interwoven crises here um, that are making it very, very hard to just be like, oh, this is how this ends. Um, but the answer is yes. Like there needs to be a, a, a reset in, in many ways. Uh, the question is, uh, do, do the policymakers have a right way to get there? Or are we just going to end up seeing something break and then coming in to fix it? And that's sort of my base case is that, you know, we'll see something break here over the next few months, um, probably within the next 12 months. Um, and then that will cause the policymakers to say, OK, OK, we, we really need to step in here and do something because we need to uh, we need to save this this problem. Um, and that'll probably start a new cycle uh, and, and kick the can and do all those you know wonderful things. Um, but the reality is, is that there's so many <laughs> there's actually several interwoven woven things here. Um, and again, you know, this stuff can be pretty anxiety inducing. Um, but obviously, the opportunities that come out of it are, are very real, right? You know, that we haven't had a chance really since, you know, the, the 2008 uh, great financial crisis to build a portfolio that's extremely long term. Um, and, you know, I'm really looking forward to that of, of like, hey, let's I'm going to construct a portfolio here over the next few years that I believe I'll be able to hold on to for decades, you know, and maybe even give to my children. And that's that's quite exciting when you think of it that way. Yeah, great perspective, cool. Elio. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, retweet the tweet that's pinned to the top for a chance to win uh, the one ETH that we're giving away on today's show. You have to be in the audience uh, and have retweeted the tweet to be able to win. We're going to be giving it away at the end of the show. So make sure you stick around for another hour or so. Uh, Nifty Nick, go ahead, sir. Yeah, call this the bomb shelter show because we're fucked. And uh, in terms <laughs> of uh, also um, Ray Dalio, his latest book, I was watching an interview on that one. I, I didn't even buy the book because I was so depressed listening to the <laughs> overview on it. I mean, it was just like, like buy a gun and shoot yourself like sort of situation. <laughs> That's his uh, financial advice. <laughs> no, it, le legit. I mean, that was like, um, it, 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 it is valid. Um, it's, it's also simultaneously, it's like, there's, there's a degree, basically the, the most bearish case you can come up with is the world has, is ending and it's ending imminently. So like, that would be like the most bearish situation. Um, and, and so anything that's better than that at this point, uh, is uh, bullish news. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm personally interested to see how a lot of these things play out as well. It's both, uh, uh, you know, like mentally or, or just theoretically interesting to, to see how all these dynamics play out. And, and we're in, in the midst of sort of uh, s sort of a dynamic that we haven't experienced previously, um, combined with like the, the Russia stuff and then also um, inflation and everything else. What like we just haven't seen this dynamic, especially after the historical levels of uh, printing money. So all of this is like pretty much unpredictable. Um, but uh, if we're following uh, Ray Dalio's approach, it's like, yeah, we're going to experience a depression. And if we're going to experience a depression, that's where I'm like, yeah, well, then my thesis on the market dropping another 30 to 50% kind of makes sense. Um, simultaneously, it, it's, I, I always end up asking myself every day, I'm like, am I trying to play the game of call the bottom? Yes, I am. Okay, that never works. Um, maybe like start looking at things to accumulate. Uh, and so 
that's kind of my attitude at the moment is like well well nick if I, if I can help you know there's there's definitely a game of call the bottom which i've never like i've never been one of those people that's like i call bottoms i precisely call like that's a that's a really tricky sport and um and bless everyone who's playing it the biggest thing that i think everyone needs to look for is when there's a catalyst for the new for an actual cleanup of the bottom right it's not about saying oh my god i got the ultimate bottom it's about knowing that you're starting to get more uh like the odds are more in favor of the market continuing an upward trend and there's there's very you know there's a ton of metrics we can look for and actual policies that we can look for to make that happen um and you know the safe and steady way is just to buy a little bit each week and to stretch that out over years or just to do it on ongoing forever that's like the the you know the prescription that always works um um, but if you're looking for like a, when to really start chunking in, you want to start seeing a catalyst for things to be cleaned up. And right now, all the rhetoric from, you know, the powers that be is trying to uh, create more pain to to control inflation, to control demand, to take the jobs market down and to effectively wash out the debt. All the all of these things that need to happen for the economy to sort of get back to stasis. Yeah. Well, uh I'm sitting on the sidelines uh, for the most part, other than my 401k, which is just an in index fund, and uh, that, that's, that's about it. I just I like buying it every time I get a no notification that the stuff went down five percent or ten percent. I'm not deploying like tens of thousands of dollars at a time, but I just like to kind of nibble a little bit and just hold it. I know Nick's more of like a big home run swing kind of guy, and obviously there's been times it paid off, like uh, some big ETH trades, the the CryptoPunks uh, investment. I mean, it, it could have been a, a brilliant trade, but you treated it like an investment, which is obviously that's what I would have done too. Um, I want to throw to Spencer of Spencer Ventures Institutional capital on stage, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my guy Spencer from The Morning Show, uh, a friend of the show and, and just a friend of ours in general, and, and one of the biggest whales of our NFT. Spencer, what's going on? Hey guys, I, I I love this show. By the way, I feel like the the discussion is really interesting. I figured you would. I mean, I said um, I, I DM'd easy too. I was like, yeah, you you're probably gonna love this show too. But anyway, go ahead, Spencer. I, I was just gonna say too that like I think people may not realize how sort of weird a time we've been in in the context of like global economic structures for the last like since 2008 essentially right where there isn't precedent for what happens when like this is the first time that we're seeing the fed solve a problem that was caused by the fed um as like a means of what's going on in the market largely right where we've just had ridiculously low interest rates there's been a competition japan went negative for periods of time right like in the fundamental structure of what interest rates are for a country has changed in the last like 20 years very substantially. And there's been this argument that like, oh, inflation is transitory. It doesn't impact inflation. Well, we see now that that's wrong. And so like, what are the ramifications of, of, of that when everyone's been doing this thing and there's been a competition amongst nations where, okay, I have a zero interest rate. That means you need to have a zero interest rate. That means you maybe have a negative interest rate to stand out to, to spur your economy, right? Um, US is going to positive interest rates, but not every country like really can do that or should do that or is doing that right now. But then what is that? Like, that's why we see US trade weighted value going up so substantially. But then like, what's everyone supposed to do plunge into a recession? And then even if they do, is that going to necessitate a return to these low interest rates? Like, it, it just depends on the time horizon you, you zoom out to, right? Like, interest rate on housing, if you zoom out far enough, like historical, like all time average in the US is like 7%. Like, that's the average. But we haven't seen that for like 20 30 years, and it's because it used to be 20% way back in like the early 1900s. But the fundamental way we've thought about money has changed. And, you know, it's funny too, because if you look at some of the old heads who have underperformed in the last 10 years, right? So like Warren Buffett, 
like hasn't done as well in the last 10 years. And you can say, okay, well, the size of his fund changed. And yes, that contributes to it too. But like having talked to a lot of like people who are like more traditional finance, like been around for a while, like the last 10 years, they've been like, things seem too hot. Things seem too hot. Like, and you know, are, are we considering large downside events where they are just too hot for too long and we have some sort of unprecedented large crash? Like I think people perhaps, and especially in crypto are not pricing in the potential of a really large downside event where the fundamentals of how we look at just money economy and government control of money supply change. And I think there's always been this narrative that like, okay, if like government, if, you know, fiat's printed to infinity and there's a lack of trust in it, that's like supposed to be when crypto does really well. But I don't know that we see that. And we don't see that necessarily because in the last like unit of time, we've seen a lot of institutional capital trading crypto and they just trade it like spy, right? Like they, they're not really trading it differently. Maybe it does decouple. And that's like the, the crazy upside event is if the whole world falls apart, but crypto doesn't. But I just find difficulty in that narrative because I think if the whole world is falling apart, I don't see family offices, I don't see institutional capital like suddenly going risk on to an asset that has in the last year been so correlated to the S&P. Fair. What do you think about the idea that the bond market capital flows to crypto? I think that that's like potentially true, right? But that has to do with like with this concept of if people feel like global financial markets are falling apart. Are they going to view crypto as a safe haven from that? Because it's not, you know, you can't print more Bitcoin, you know, there's whatever cap supply of Ethereum, or are they going to view it as crypto is a risk on asset that's usually highly correlated to SPY. And therefore, as the world is falling apart, it will just fall apart with extra leverage. I don't know the answer to that, right? I, I think it's more the latter, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I got to just uh, agree with that one. The whole idea that suddenly everyone is going to flock to Bitcoin as the uh, <laughs> as the solution is literally like, I mean, do, like I understand, like, dude, you've been on those ayahuasca trips with your fellow Bitcoiners <laughs> while you all are sitting there sort of visualizing the future. I, I, I get that aspect of things. And like, dude, that's like totally a spiritual experience um, and, and understandable that it would be impactful on an individual level. Uh, that that said, most people in the market, especially those retailers that uh, we were describing earlier as sort of just peasants who are about to get shit on, um, they uh, they don't do ayahuasca on a regular basis. <laughs> That's one of the downsides that you have facing them. They're not planning on shifting their capital uh, into Bitcoin at the bottom. Usually uh, what happens is they end up calling us uh, right when uh, it's at near the top. And saying, "Hey, is now a good time to buy? <laughs> Which of these chick coins should I buy?" So that's usually how we end up seeing that uh, pan out. But yeah, I mean, uh, cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's like one idea. Is uh, have you met a bond trader before as well? Um, I, I've I've never like most of the people that are in bonds are a incredibly smart. Like they're the smartest people that you've ever met. And they're also basically going to talk your ear off about how stupid like the. They're they're all focused on like macroeconomic stuff and uh, an actual like like the intricacies, deep dives on the financial markets that the average person just does not understand. They're not suddenly like, 
yo, you know what? I'm gonna hang it up and uh, I'm just gonna put all my money in Bitcoin. Like that's just not usually a common pattern that you see uh, among uh, bond traders. So, but what about an uh, what about an evolution of like the mentality uh, toward like financial instruments? Like what if over because you have to think it's gonna happen over a really long period of time. What if over thirty to forty years, gradually people start favoring crypto assets over bonds? But here's the challenge with that, Pio, that I think is that like a lot of these people that we're talking about aren't trading their own capital, right? They're, they're in some sort of fund structure. And it's not easy to just like dabble in crypto because it's so the regulations are either not there or they're like very onerous to set up like a crypto trading entity, as, depending on your jurisdiction, right? So for an entity, like it's, it's a huge binary of are you trading crypto or are you not trading crypto, especially in the fund space where like for a fund to set up a crypto desk, like has a lot of hurdles. And so I, I just, I think a lot of these bond traders we're talking about, like the subset that actually could even just switch over their capital to trading crypto is very, very small. And maybe over a 30 year time horizon, that doesn't matter. But I actually think that probably it does. And so that's where I think we see, where I see the, the new influx of capital coming from is like family offices transitioning over to the younger generation that just is more interested in this stuff. And it'll be new managers or People will have to create entire new firms to go trade crypto assets because like their track record for, for the last 30 years, you know, trading bonds isn't going to matter anymore when they because like it's a different asset class. Right. And they're going to have to compete with younger managers who have been around who only need to have been around for five years to have traded the full lifetime of the asset. A little bit of evolution in, uh, you know, who's who's dominating a market. Uh, Signal, you have your hand raised. Something to add on this on this topic? Yeah, I actually wanted to go back to what Nucci um, and what Elio said earlier. Uh, Nucci, you mentioned the economic machine. I watched that video back um, when it was first released. It's literally probably one of the best videos of how the economy works from beginner to you know intermediate if you don't know anything about economics so even to this day highly recommend Ray Dalio, that, Ray Dalio drops really good YouTube content that that economic machine video is part of a whole series it's really good shit but yeah go ahead signal yeah out of that um, I wanted to ask so he obviously back then advised about the all weather portfolio I remember I implemented that yonks ago um, changed it up uh, over the years but when I did implement it it worked really out and it worked really well and Elio, I wanted to ask, because you mentioned it at the end of when, when you were talking about the construction of a, a portfolio that could um, be robust for the next sort of, you know, 10, 20 to 30 years. Given your experience in crypto now and NFTs, et cetera, financial markets, what would that portfolio look like for you um, so it could weather um, the next decade? Yeah, obviously, like when it comes to like non-crypto stuff, I'd, I'd like to take more time and be more methodical. But as far as like my my general response to you as well as to others, um, I think what's going on in the energy sector, um, looking at the biggest producers of energy in the world, um, looking at America and saying, hmm, we don't trust you and you just took all of our dollars. Um, and do we really want to reinvest in this thing called the US dollar um, with our biggest asset, aka oil? What we're seeing is uh, historic levels of pushback by energy producers against the West. Um, and that's a new phenomenon that obviously we've seen, you know, inklings of it in the 1970s. But this is a whole new level of, um, you know, the US government just came in and said, actually, all your US dollars aren't yours. Um, and that makes the US dollar a permission system, like on a scale that we haven't seen before. Um, and so that's a really, really significant moment in history, what happened earlier this year. And I believe that that, you know, if you study the history of the dollar and the petrol, 
dollar and how you know oil and energy have really been the backbone on which the dollar has globalized. Um, it's a really interesting phenomenon that if you think of like what it means for obviously right now the dollar everyone wants it um, and the, and the digital dollar will be very successful I believe. The other sort of like uh, contrast to that is that having a neutral currency um, of which the only thing you can imagine would work is either gold or Bitcoin is quite interesting and it won't be or it won't be quick. These are like decades long processes. But if you know and you can see that there is kind of no other outcome by but having some kind of neutral asset, then it becomes quite interesting to kind of say, OK, well, you know, we're, we're, we're outside of the quick dopamine construction portfolios where you can get like these 10, 20, 30 X overnight. But if you say, okay, in 10 years from now, I'm very convinced that the world will look a lot more like this. That's the kind of portfolio that I want to construct, which is around behaviors and around um, changes in society. So that's why I'm really still have, I think Bitcoin still has this amazing narrative to it. Um, I also am going to construct a very hedged sort of uh, portfolio between real estate, even bonds um, with, you know, different types of equities. Um, I'll, I'll come out with that as I, as I get more specificity. But the point is, um, if we experience what I think is coming next, um, then there will be time for, you know, if you're looking at a 10 plus year horizon uh, for you to do some amazing, amazing portfolio construction. So that's where I'm going to go with it. Um, and, you know, as always, uh, when it comes to the JPEGs, you know, I'm a big believer that we have, you know, when, once we get to that part of the conversation, I'll talk more about that. But I do believe that this all sort of plays into what's going on in Web3. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll talk more about that in a minute. But I hope that answers your question. Elio dropping the Bitcoin knowledge that all you fools won't listen to. I love it. Reminder to retweet the tweet that's pinned at the top and stick around the show for a chance to buy, uh, to win one Ethereum that Elio's giving away. Go ahead, Nick. Let me have it, buddy. And then I'll throw I, an NFT god. Yeah, I was just saying you should call up all of your bond trading friends and uh, have them come <laughs> on the show. I actually, th there actually is one bond trade. I, we, we, I'm going to reach out to him. <laughs> we don't want your fucking dinosaur bond no, trader on no, the show. No, dude, th this guy get well. I don't. He's not training anymore. Now he works at tech companies, but he used to work the bond trading desk. So all I'm saying is, uh, let's get let's get him on. But uh, Elio's perspectives are so well researched that all I can do is uh, drop jokes at this point. So uh, <laughs> well, you're so, doing a good job of that, Emil. They, I'm yeah, glad no, I love it. I love it. Your bond friends sound sound awesome, by the way. <laughs> Elio wants to get a beer with your Bond friends. NFT Dude, God. Is, they're some of the smartest people I've talked to, like in all seriousness. Like, I, I believe want, it. If, if, if you want to get like perspective on like worldviews and impact of like varying uh, activities, but uh, just global events and how they're going to shape the markets, like uh, the, the Bond market is, is highly sensitive to it. And uh, a lot of those traders are, are just... Um, I, I don't know, just, just always up to date on, you know, uh, all this information and the impact that it has. And then they get into some technical shit that I'm not even like uh, capable of understanding because me swinging dollars around in the bond market has zero impact whatsoever. So, yeah. But and keep in mind, though, those same smart people, like if you just extrapolate time, I have to think that those smart people start to adopt newer technology, like newer financial instruments, right? And so like Michael Saylor shat on Bitcoin for like a decade 
then all of a sudden it was just keeping him up at night every single evening. And I know that Michael Saylor is like a meme and this, that just bringing up his name is borderline like a political thing to do at this point in the crypto space. People are like, Oh, you're a sailor boy. Get the hell out of here. But I just like to bring it up as an example of someone. Sailor that sh- boy. <laughs> Look at this little sailor boy. <laughs> <laughs> just someone that shat on Bitcoin for a decade and then flipped the switch and went full tilt. You know, like there is no second best. We got my guy NFT God with his hand raised. Let me have it, NFT God. Yeah, I won't talk to you too bad on this one, P.O. Um, I'll never be able to speak intelligently about the bond market, so I'll, I'll leave that to the big brain Elios of the world. Uh, but just to give a little perspective and touch on an earlier point Nick made is I think a lot of people in this space are playing the game of bottom chasing, right? And, and as Nick said, it's a totally losing game. Like, no one wins that game. So just to give a little perspective – the last bull market from bottom to top was 13 years, right? From the bottom at the end of 08, beginning of 09 to the top of earlier this year was 13 years. Even the Bitcoin market, which is way more volatile, from bottom to top after that explosion in, in 17 was three years long. So even if you enter these markets one to two years late, right? You just sit on your hands, do nothing, and you enter two years late you're making generational wealth. I think a lot of people listening are like addicted to this dopamine of like trying to hit that bottom. And what they don't realize, like even if you sit here, we hit bottom and it just goes up. It does nothing but go up for one to two years and you get in, you still could have a decade of gains ahead of you and totally change your financial life. So just to comment on that, that point of, of bottom chasing, like even if you miss by years, you're still good to go. So just try not to play that game of bottom chasing. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that was a point. Sorry to jump in. That was a point well, I was course. trying to make earlier, which is, look, there's going to be so much time during this. Piv- these, this pivot is like turning the Titanic, right? This is like turning the biggest boat in the world. This is not a quick pivot up, down, left, right. This, all this stuff is very systemic. It's at like the sovereign level. It's at the highest level. And so this stuff is going to take a, like quite a while to resolve itself. And, and the resolution and, and what comes after will la- likely last a very long time. And so there's... The, the only goal right now is to not get completely chopped out. It's just not to lose all your money right now. And I know that's like a hard message. And I actually did a whole a series of content on, on dopamine and how that's the real issue uh, with the bear market is, yes, the gains aren't there. But if you realize what's really dragging your ass is the fact that you're not being stimulated anymore and you're bored and boredom is like the worst thing. And, uh, and crypto people, whether you like it or not, you have to realize how much, you know, overwhelming stimulus there was stimulation there was in the bull run and it's just gone now and so you know that's the that's the real big enemy and understanding that not losing money right now is a flex and that you know the best thing you can do is wait for clear signals that's my opinion and what i've realized is that my audience is broad enough that like having these ultra sophisticated fast moving strategies while i can maybe claim clout on saying hey i hit this i hit that the vast majority of the audience is lagging and they're not actually able to hit those switches like like in real time with the content and they end up doing the wrong things. And so my goal with my content is just try to make, trying to make simple strategies that are long, long reaching now and could literally be followed by, you know, anyone watching the content instead of, you know, the, the vast majority of people. And so that's kind of like my goal with my own content going forward is to, is to not necessarily have the highest gaining strategies, but to have ones that are, that are, you know, I I guess reliable. I mean, that's all you can ask for, right? And the crazy thing is, like, we're talking about, you know, 
seeking dopamine hits, uh, the market not providing them. But in the NFT market, out of all these markets, it seems like the biggest wins are available there, even you know as we're in this bear market. And I do start to wonder how long it'll last. But you look at the last 90 days, right off the top of my head, well, this past week, you got Genuine Undead, right? So Genuine Undead was brought up on our morning show several times uh, by this guy, Cryptopolis. He's been on it. It was a free mint. So he's been on it. It went from basically free to like 0.3 or 0.4. It pulled back to around 0.2. Two, it's almost at one ETH now. It's at 0.8. And so, like, if you did mint the free mint and hold, then you have this colossal win on your hands. Before that, right off the bat, I can think of Renga. Renga came out, it had a little bit of a run, it pulled back to 0.3, and then it ran 10x from 0.3 to 3, and now it's pulling back, it's still at 1.7. So anybody that was quasi-early buying Renga was rewarded, and if you held the black boxes, which were used, you burned the black boxes to, to get Renga, those black boxes went up to fucking 5 ETH. I had three of those things, and I basically broke even trading them like an asshole. Um, they literally could have paid for like you know three months of rent or something like that. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And then, uh, well, go ahead, Nick. Well, I was just gonna say you're de- you're describing Renga like you you described Sailor as a Sailor boy. <laughs> nice. No, I don't. I don't know if I agree with that. I feel like you were just looking for any reason to call me a sailor boy uh, in that funny voice, but I'll take it because it was funny. Um, and then last, you got QQL by Tyler Hobbs. If you just were awake and you were like thinking, all right, well, I want to watch QQL by Tyler Hobbs because Fidenza is the most important generative art collection that we've seen thus far. This is Tyler Hobbs' next thing. It's super innovative. It hit the Dutch auction floor of 14 ETH. It went up to 22 Ethereum. So that was basically a five-figure win in 48 hours if you just had the capital to hit that 14 ETH Dutch auction. Even if you weren't right there for the Dutch auction, you could have bought for like 15 ETH on the way up. And and again, five figure come up in 48 hours. So we are still spoiled. Another one, Street Machine uh, has been on the run because of basically a rumor of an A16Z backing, which I think is just purely a rumor. I don't know. Um, but yeah, there's been all these wins. I mean, we got we got Nushi or, or Sip, NFT got one quick. Go ahead. I just wanted yeah. to make one quick point is I, you're right. Those are been, been massive wins. But over the last few months, those have been the only wins out of like 400 projects that have launched. And the issue is, is people see those wins. People see Ranga run up from nothing to something and they chase that, that dopamine hit, right? Like they want to be part of that so bad. So they start buying these other shitty projects and they lose all their money. And so I, I just want people to know, like there are isolated wins in this market. You have the opportunity to make, you know, really big, money but it's the same thing as going all in on a two seven offsuit hands pre-flop which is like you're betting big on really 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 bad odds and so yes there are isolated wins but just make sure when you make that bet are you doing it because you have really really strong convictions this will be one of the five winning projects in this bear market or are you just chasing that dopamine hit because you saw all your friends make good money good point nucci yeah i, I think you got has said so many uh, really, really good things in the past couple minutes. And, and, you know, working at Premint, I watch every project come through the space. And I think it's around like one in 100 projects right now are are even minting out, let alone doing well. So I, I think that's a, a good point just to say there have been wins. I think there's more than just those four, to be honest. But yeah, they're, they're really few and far between. So if you are going to 
to dive in, make sure you're super well researched. But some of those wins have been like relatively obvious if you're paying attention. Um, it's just hard to see with all the, the noise that's going on. But um, the other thing I want to say is, uh, you know, you, you were talking earlier about, uh, you know, like a multi-year time horizon. And I, I was just thinking a lot about this with my, I have a friend who I got to buy a Bitcoin in October, 2020. And he was having a meltdown about the price recently. He's, he's back in San Diego. And I like quickly did the math and I was like, you're up, you bought it at 10 grand and you're up a hundred percent in, in two years, which like, if you think about like a normal investment horizon, getting like 10% a year, uh, you know, the rule of 72 where you divide the number by 72 and it's like about seven years to double your money. Um, like it's still doing very well. I know there's obviously a lot of pain when you look at it, go to like 69 or whatever it went to, but like, I, I just think like we look at things very in a very like short term time horizon and we're all always chasing those dopamine hits, as you mentioned. And then the last thing I want to mention, Pio, you were talking about Ranga boxes and um, I had Cyrus and NFT stats on my show and we spent a lot of time talking about this gambler's premium. And I just think it's like a really interesting idea that I hadn't I hadn't paid much attention to. But it's the idea that like there is there is like a premium baked in to purchases that have like a gamble behind them. So the Ranga box, for example. The play was obviously to not burn it and just hold it. And then baked into that price, is this premium that you get that you, it, I mean, when you burn it and you get the ring, it's probably going to go down. But as like a smart, disciplined trader, if you just hold it and sell that thing with the premium baked in, you're going to do really, really well. And there are opportunities. I think Tubes has that coming up too. Um, so yeah, just three points there. Yeah, I mean, and that's the same thing as when you mint something and it's it's pre-reveal because then you see that pump going into the reveal and the only thing surrounding that pump, it like fundamentally, is the gamble of getting a rare. Like that's what it is. Obviously, you can talk about hype and FOMO, but the gamble of, of getting a rare is what prices that premium and that's why we consistently see those pullbacks. Also worth noting, uh, Digidaigaku emerged in the past like 90 to 120 days. That was a big win Castaway, uh, which is like the thing, I guess, that is somehow associated or something. You see Gabe Layden tweeting about it nonstop. That's been a win. Potatoes was a win. So there have been wins. And honestly, when you kind of look at these, like they are all quality things. Like I guess when Digidaigaku came out, you didn't know exactly who Gabe was. Really, I'd say when you kind of look at the past 120 days, the people that are able to do a basic level of research in an extremely fast time period are the people that get rewarded. Like the people that could do the research on potatoes and, and see who meme land is and who, um, forgive me, what's the name? Meme land and, uh, sorry, uh, what, what, nine gag meme land and nine gag are who Gabe Layden is who dirty robot is from Ranga. Like basically just being able to do that split second research and kind of just decide, is this legit or not? And then ape at that low price. That's been very, um, valuable signal has her hand raised. I always want to hear from her. What's going on, Sig? Yeah. I was going to touch on, on what you're talking about now, because I think a lot of people forget that around January to May, it was like, make it rain it was just like money pouring out of the sky but it was also like it was also really brutal because gas was really high it was allow this meta people were grinding in discords and i remember a lot of people were just saying like they were literally losing their mental health because you're trying to catch mints um specifically on on firstly on the u.s market so you had to really be on the, the u.s markets to catch those free mints or whatever was coming at that time but it was more like persistently we were just 
on Discord all the time. And I really remember this period not being good for a lot of people. And also at that same time, I remember Portal were always saying, why are we always discussing these really expensive projects? And the reason was, was because there was nothing really happening at the low end at the time. Now the market's completely flipped and it's all about catching these isolated wins. And it's much easier to do that now because there's better tools out there, which are also free. NFT God has you know, tweeted about this several times that you do not need to be buying tools, that this um, information is free and readily available. And it's much easier to actually see uh, the signal through the noise because there's just less sort of stuff happening. You can identify the crap really easily. So what I think now is like, take advantage that it's not the first six months of the year. Take advantage that now it's much easier to identify projects if you've been in a space or in a, in a while and just cut your teeth in the bear. So when the bull comes, you can bite hard. I mean, <laughs> that was epic. That quote at the end signal was epic. I don't know if you planned on dropping that quote, but I'm about to have XP. I'm a writer. Draft. <laughs> I'm a writer. What can I say, man? We think fossil on our feet. <laughs> I love it. I said I like writers. Look, we got my guy Clemente uh, from WGMI.io. So you are, you know, with the team that's building, uh, you know, basically a, a platform for portfolio tracking and news updates. I always love from hearing, uh, love hearing from your team members because you guys are on top of it. Uh, do, you, you requested to speak, something to contribute to the conversation. Oh, he's gone. He didn't mean to speak. It was an accident, and he fleed from the stage. We're going to hit him with a little a little sound effect there. Um, you know, one thing I'd love to know is, like, Elio, for example, you're a Board API Club holder. You've been a holder for, like, a year and a half. The thing that's been rattling around in my mind is, is ApeCoin the most horrendously underpriced asset that I already own right now? over the next like five years? Like in five years, are we going to look back and be like, why the fuck didn't we buy a bunch of ape coin when it was at the low prices that it was at in October uh, of this year? Um, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not, the question isn't, do you think that it'll pull back more, right? The question is, do you think five years from now we look back and it's like, holy shit, we should have bought ape coin? Yeah. Okay. So I'll answer your question in a super roundabout and long-winded way, which is, um, what I believe about the market, and I have been if anyone follows my content, is that the only product category that is capable of bringing crypto to a mass market is a video game, right? That is the only product category I believe that will get normies caring about digital value. Why? Because they already do. They buy hundreds of billions of dollars of digital clothing uh, every year. And there's no comparison. There's no, uh, to, to quote uh, all you sailor boys, there is no second best. You know, there is no second <laughs> best, right? There is nothing close to this. And metaverse, it will be an extension, you know, of like where people want to spend their time and their money in these games. But there's no question, right? And, and it's, it's not a situation where like, one game wins and all the other games lose, what's going to happen? I think what people fail to realize is that what we saw in last year, and I tried to hammer this point, but you know, in the, the bull market haze, sometimes this nuance get lo gets lost, which is that this isn't the, the run that's being catalyzed by complete user adoption at a mass market of amazing games. This is people just realizing that games are a viable market and can reach huge numbers. Um, Meta changed their name, or Facebook changed their name to Meta. Now, what's going to happen next time is games Games are going to start getting adopted. And the best case scenario here is that the market is absolute 
garbage, which is the more likely scenario, and games are getting adopted, people are playing it, and fundamentals start going way ahead of price. And that's going to be a magic moment for people uh, paying attention. And so what's going to happen is most likely there will be that one hit game. It could come from anywhere. Um, It could come from Gabe. It could come from uh, Imposters. It could come from Ape. It could come from anyone. Um, And when that happens, guess what's going to happen? Those assets are going to go crazy. And then everyone's going to start going, wait, actually, NFTs are cool. There will be a cultural mentality shift in the gaming industry to wait. I didn't like this to wait, actually, this is fine and this is actually better. Um, Just like what happened with in-game currencies, which everyone thought was the devil and now find me a game without an in-game currency. It doesn't exist. So what's going to happen next is that shift probably over the next 12 to 36 months and every single game that's not the leader will then get you know, hordes of new attention because people will go, okay, well, that one's already gone crazy. Where's the next opportunities? And it'll be a rising tide. That's my belief is that all games will benefit from that. Not all games will survive indefinitely, but the games that are in market that have a good, that, that have the ability to be adopted and have good, you know, economics, they will benefit um, it, disproportionately. And so there's like this belief right now, and I've heard this in, in, in other spaces. I've been a fly on the wall in a lot of spaces over the last few weeks because I wanted to like really absorb sort of like the current beliefs about the JPEG market. And it's really interesting to me that people are sort of, uh, you know, bantering about utility nuking floors. And that's that's been one of the funniest things to me. Um, and utility nuking floors is not a reflection of utility itself, but the specific utilities that are being nu- that are nuking floors. And eventually the specific nu- utility will have a tremendous amount of value. So that's what I believe is that we'll see this um, things like ApeCoin. Um, if the Board Ape Yacht Club metaverse gets adopted, it'll go crazy. I think right now they have a tremendous amount of tailwinds. I think they have a lot of smart people and in you know pretty much infinite amount of money. So I'd be shocked if they don't do something interesting. Um, but yeah, to say where it's going short term, it's going to follow the fungible market, which is going to experience some pain. But long term, is ApeCoin going to be viable? I think it sticks around for sure. Well, I appreciate the response, and I think that you're right. I also, someone in our Discord pointed out that potentially there could be like a quote-unquote rebrand on NFTs since everybody hates NFTs right now. We might just call them something else, call them tokens, call them something, just like how automobile was the first name for a car, but now we just call it a, a car. You know what I mean? So that was something that occurred to me that I hadn't necessarily thought of, which I think is totally on the table. Um, I'm, gu- I'm guessing we go from NFTs to worthless trash. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's what you've been calling them for a while, Nick. I like it. Uh, we got NFT God, then we got my guy Clemente back. NFT God, what's going on? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Elio said, but here's the one extra point I'll make is your, your question was specifically around Ape itself. And I agree with Elio that I think gaming is going to be the vehicle that brings the mainstream into NFTs and crypto. The issue is your question specifically around Ape is do people want to make the bet on ape itself, right? You're basically betting that that ecosystem will succeed. And for me, there's so many risks involved with that. Like the staking, they're going to be flooding the market with new ape. Once the staking begins, you're also just straight up betting that it'll succeed as a video game and the odds of just any digital experience succeeding, no matter how much money you put behind it, no matter how many smart people you put behind it succeeding, are so low. You look at like basically almost every game EA makes, like they put the most money, the most resources, the most studios behind it. And almost inevitably all their games end up stinking at the moment. So when your question comes to specifically ape, should you bet on ape? Will it go up? I I think it's a hard bet to make. I think the headwinds are 
vast when it comes to specifically ape. But the approach I've been taking is, again, because I agree gaming will be the vehicle that brings people in, I'm placing bet on assets that are interchangeable between the ecosystems, right? Like, for instance, art. Or uh, the, the micro niche I like is 3D statues that can be placed in any metaverse you're in. I love making that bet because any metaverse you're in will be able to take that and you're just betting that metaverses will win at the end of the day. So, you know, I, I don't like the bet of betting on a specific metaverse. I like making the bet of all metaverses. I like it. I mean, that's that's so key. And on the art side, for example, I think that's also a reason that so much value has accrued to some of the art passes. Because when you buy the art pass, you're not as like you're not betting on individual single artist as much as you are betting that the uh, people running the business of the art organization will be able to lock in relationships with valuable artists. And at some point, you'll get access to an asset that you and or other people will want, and that'll accrue value to. To the art pass. Uh, one topic, I don't know if we're going to get to it today because we're flowing so well. One topic that I, we got to get to on this show, which we'll be doing this show regularly, ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry. Don't, I wouldn't stick the syringe into your arm and then just rip it out away from you. We're going to make sure that you show up to the clinic every day. Um, so one topic that I want to talk about is, is basically you know, the idea of investing in art versus some of these NFT businesses and startups because of the risk associated with the businesses and startups and also the sobering valuations that can be assigned to them once you see their uh, production levels versus an artist that billionaires can just decide is important and just go crazy with the prices. But over to Spencer, who has his hand raised. I always want to hear what Spencer has to say. What's going on, Spence? Hey, Pio. So I was just going to respond to it, which is like, I agree that I don't know that the chance the other side will be that awesome is that high. However, I'm of the view that I don't think it needs to be because I think if you look at what happened in the last cycle, like, I comp it to Decentraland and Sandbox. And I think if you look at like Sandbox, you know, the big there's a big pump on both those last cycle. Decentraland, I, I doesn't even load. And like I, I think I played once I got it to load and it like made me so nauseous I had to like lie down. Sandbox at least loads, but is also like incredibly like not great. And in my view, I don't know that other side needs to be that good. To me, it just needs to be better than Decentral Decentraland and Sandbox going into the next like round of this cycle. Is that good long-term for NFTs and crypto that I think it doesn't actually need to be a playable game for the speculation around its land assets to be good because of what we've seen in past cycles with other similar projects? Probably not. But like for me, I actually like I'm not so eager for them to deliver a game. Like I want, I think that it doesn't matter the quality of the game they deliver as long as it's better than those other two in the next cycle it'll pump. Right. And then as you said, is that the best for the long term? I don't think so. Basically, what you're saying is, you know, make a bet on it because you're basically betting on kind of the macro of metaverses working out well and that being the leader. But if you're looking to make like a, a long term bet on something that's going to pump because a lot of people will adopt it, not just because people will be speculating on the metaverse, you know, I, I'd rather make the speculation on products that I think are going to survive and go up just from, you know, any metaverse succeeding, you know, if it ends up, you know, I think Decentraland and Sandbox are on their way to zero because I personally, this is my own personal opinion, think those two experiences stink and, and people aren't going to want to hold those assets long term. I, I just rather get some that's pro uh, resistant to the quality of experiences because that's so hard to nail. 
and you know do something that's long term i'm very confident will be a winning bet i think it's a fair take uh you haven't seen Sandbox and Decentraland, uh, you know, make waves recently compared to how they did right after, just in terms of like, you know, uh, attention, like they did after the rebrand of Meta. I got to throw to my guy Clemente uh, from WGMI. This is someone, you know, who's from a business that is looking at analytics, looking at data, providing updates on the NFT space. Always want to hear from people like this. Clemente, take it away. Hey, thanks, Bill. Yeah, I mean, on that note, we were talking. I know NFT got us talking about how Sandbox and Decentraland haven't really brought anything up recently. I mean, the the numbers kind of disagree with that. As Sandbox is up, its floor is up thirty percent over the last thirty days. Decentraland is up ten percent over the last thirty days. In that same time period, other side is about holding steady. So the numbers kind of speak for themselves. There, I will say that some of the partnerships they've been doing with World of Women with board api club has given it some attention as far as sandbox goes decentraland is getting some fud about how many daily users do they actually have someone said they have 500 someone said they have then they come out and they say they have like thirty thousand daily which i don't even know if that if there's that many daily traders at this point <laughs> um one of the things that i will say i know is if, if you guys don't mind me jumping back to to eight token as far as the performance risk involved with that one i like it but at the same time i when we look at the short term one of the things that i'm I like a little bit more is actually the gutter cat ecosystem gang because token. the ape token team uh, is working with them to come out with their gang token and that they said that's going to come out Q4. And when you look at the numbers behind gutter cat and um, gutter clones, I feel like the gutter clones were are actually at a pretty good point right now. They pumped a point two on the rumors that gutter uh, that the gutter token would be coming out soon when they push that back. It went from a 0.2 ETH floor now at a 0.1 ETH floor, and the 70 listings are on the downtrend. 30 listings are on the downtrend as well, and some ETH offers are being accepted. So I think that's a good bet if you're willing to hold that for the next few months. If you're willing to get in at 0.1, you can scoop five or six. And then on that news, that gutter gang or gutter token does um, get closer to revealing. I think you sell that into the pump, and um, I think you could potentially make a good play there. Yeah, and we talked a lot of theory on today's show. Uh, if we did want to get into like kind of the X's and O's in the weeds, I think that's interesting that you bring up gutter ecosystem ahead of the token drop. I know a lot of people that have been holding those assets for a while, they're going to be rewarded handsomely by this token drop. When you talk about the gutter clones, are you talking about the juice or are you talking about the clone cl- uh, collection itself? The clone collection itself. It's sitting at a 0.11 ETH floor on OpenSea right now. Yeah, yeah, I see that. And uh, and then the, the juice is at 0.15. So that's what we were talking about before the premium for the gamble, right? Um, or, or, or something like that. Uh, I, I don't know the exact mechanics of gutter juice in particular. The other thing to call out is right now, the biggest pump that I'm aware of in the NFT space is actually this iconic moments art pass. We saw it pump uh, off of its whitelist mint yesterday from 0.1 uh, up to above one ETH. So we're familiar with them because they sponsored our show. Uh, I'm surprised by how robust this pump has been just because you don't see that every day in this market. It's from 0.1 to over one ETH. The rest of the public sale just went down. The floor is insanely thin because there's only 1,300 of them, and the pump is continuing. It looks like it's pointing, uh, pushing 0.8 at this point, uh, a lot of sales. When you see these collections that have low uh, supply and a relatively 
you know, reasonable price for what it is. I think a lot of people are pricing these art passes high. You see the go to pass at five ETH. Um, so honestly, I'm pissed that I'm over here working on this show because I could have probably swept the floor on this while we were live at like 0 0.55, 0 0.6, but whatever. Uh, that's the cost. That's the, the cross I have to bear uh, for, for giving you guys, you know, the show. Anyway, uh, we got Jonah on stage with his hand raised. Jonah's a gaming expert, does some of the best research in the space. Known to say many, many sentences Jonah Blake, go ahead, sir. Those sentences hold their weight and value, so you, know, <laughs> you should just feel lucky that I state those sentences. But um, yeah, I think people are looking at other side a little incorrectly, and I'm not going to say whether you should or shouldn't buy Ape Token because, quite frankly, the minute they were invested by the SEC, it's a problem, even though they're not getting tried with anything. But um, if people think about it; it's just a game. It will. It's it is a game, but it's also going to be a launcher. Um, a launcher meaning it is very possible it could be a place where other games get released and if you're a Web3 game you're probably going to want to use that launcher over a Fractal or a Magic Eden or an OpenSea or any of them because as an indie you need as much traffic as possible which they have in this space but they won't be the only launcher you're going to hear about another technology in the first week of November that will be quite interesting and it will be a Web3 tech stack for gaming it's not out yet it'll be probably the first or second week of november okay well th thanks so for that what's, cryptic... the, what's the name of it jonah i'm not gonna tell uh, bro i speak gonna, too nick i speak this. too many sentences i can't i can't speak that many more sentences wow sassy <laughs> jonah I, on the if, show if, if i could po and and jonah i've actually heard you in other spaces you you're really brilliant you've great great takes one thing that i want to point out here is I am I'm extremely bearish on sort of like the Web3 native launcher thing because what Web3 games need more than anything is distribution and uh, Epic Games just finalized their terms of service for NFT games. I know because my own project just got accepted. Um, that to me is going to be the de facto launcher. You have the biggest companies in the world are fighting that battle. Apple, uh, Epic Games, Steam. I mean, to think that a Web3 native company will provide the distribution that one of those companies will, it, it to me feels like maybe like in 10, 20 years, like 15 years maybe. But it feels like the V1, the sort of first era of Web3 gaming supremacy needs to come from distribution on existing channels. I'm curious what you think of that. Okay, so think, for, take put distribution aside because I agree. And I'm a big fan of Epic. Spencer knows this. Um, let me put it in this context. Who who owns Yuga? Who, who is their lead investor? Epic Games. No, no. I mean, it's not what I mean. Like that'd be funny. They're they're actually building the the Lego metaverse. That's what they're gonna do. But they're owned by Andreessen Horowitz. What has Andreessen Horowitz done? Uh, the reason you buy into Andreessen Horowitz is one for distribution value. They also happen to have a six hundred million dollar games fund that they haven't completely allocated. The last thing and the most important thing is when you go on the Epic Game Store. The reason you go on that store versus a Steam is not only for better uh, rev share because there is a rev share when you go on those stores. But when you when you sign on to the Epic online service, it is a it is like the Adobe suite for game dev. So that comes with online services that comes with um, um, easy anti cheat. So you get onboarded anti cheat service, you get all these services. So if I'm the other side, and I can't compete on distribution, I could compete in terms in terms of like a a seed raising launcher where you could funnel capital into those games. But the other side is um, you could build uh, off-the-shelf EULA agreements, and let's say the other side, and think about this, if the other side is using real money transfers, they're going to need a money transmitter license. 
if I were the other side, because I can afford to do it, why wouldn't I get a money transmitter license in all 47 states and then say, if you want to actually transact real money, now that we're approved by the SEC or whatever it is, if you want to have a real money game, you're going to have to use our launcher and you can't use Epic because they can't allow that for kids. Yeah, what, I, what I'd say is, first of all, um, there's a lot of very big ifs, like mega ifs uh, buried in, in what you just outlined. The second thing is having a, a seed raising platform on a distribution for game system that'll be supposed to be like targeted at like probably high school kids as like a main demographic seems like it's unlikely to go through. Most likely that stuff would have to be purely on chain. Um, the third thing is money transmitter stuff, all that, you know, that's a, that's a whole new world of regulatory scrutiny. Um, and I guess my perspective perspective is uh, that still distribution is king and that really good games will figure out how to abstract on-chain stuff, uh, have middleware that blends it with their systems. And that's where maybe uh, Yuga can come in and say, actually, we'll abstract all that. You know, we'll be the AWS of getting your, you know, NFTs into the game and making sure that your account management systems are, are, are properly updating and all that. That's a very interesting stack to me. But I still think distribution is worth, you know, 100,000 times all that. So I, I guess I guess I'm still kind of like thinking that some of the situations you outlined i mean you clearly know your your stuff and you've done a lot of research i just i'm not sure that that's the bull case in my mind um i think that what yuga has succeeded at will continue to succeed at is incredible ip um and being able to be one of the sort of big ships that will benefit from a rising tide Nick? we've we've seen this play out already multiple times i've been mentioning before kind of to what jonah was uh, alluding to was uh, back with uh, when Facebook launched their platform, there was an FB fund that came out. And then there was also Apple uh, when they launched iTunes. Facebook has, uh, um, w was stupid. They fucked up, basically. And rather than building a mobile app because they were about to be uh, have all their d distribution eaten up for the most part um, and owned by another company, uh, they decided just to keep building on uh, building their apps. Now they're out here trying to build uh, virtual goggles or v VR goggles so that, uh, that that can be their new hardware distribution channel for uh, developers. De building distribution is one of the hands down most expensive things, and it's limited to the largest players. Uh, so I'm on the same page with uh, Elio on this. Well, you're going to like, see in the first or second week of November, you don't need uh, to build your own distribution. Uh, okay. They, well, they can scrape it, it distribution. Doesn't, it doesn't exist right now, but whoever... <laughs> it, no, I, so... You you're going to see, Nick. It, it, so he's also on the ayahuasca trip with all the Bitcoin maxis over here. No, Nick, the, I'm the, saying the you don't need to build your own... You can scrape distribution, and there is a text <laughs> stack that will do it. You there that can there are You can layer on top of other of other platforms. Uh, okay. Can, well, the, the 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 bottom line is is right now the biggest the biggest distribution that you see actually in like for the mobile app gaming space, for example, is the other games. So like that ends up becoming uh, one of the biggest distribution channels. So like you, uh, all of the internal ad networks um, are one of the the largest, and then the second uh, second largest would be you have the app store, and then you also have like Facebook ads uh, and Instagram ads, etc. Um, being the large, and I guess Twitter as well, um, but those all being the largest sort of channels of distribution within the, uh, especially the mobile gaming space. So I wouldn't be surprised to see something along those lines, but you still need um, some vehicle to reach the masses. And until you have a platform that has a billion people on it, which is Apple, Facebook, um, 
I guess Epic Games would be an example of one that has it. Until you, until you're at that scale, uh, it doesn't matter what money you have. Um, it, like it, it all, all that matters is that you have distribution through those pre-existing channels, and that's a really expensive thing. The bet that you're making today, what we're discussing, is basically saying is all predicated on Yuga Labs being able to build uh, a game that. Um, millions or billions of people end up, uh, well, I guess it wouldn't be billions, but at least millions and millions and millions of people um, end up installing. So I, I, I'm- and, and, and that would be the best case scenario if they did, right? Because that would benefit every single other developer in a way that most people can't fathom. I think there's like this, there's like this belief that 10,000 million games come out a year, but only three of them are successful. Well, in my opinion, it's more like saying, oh, remember the first apps that you installed and how amazing that experience was? And then you went through the app store and there was a period of like two, three years where every app that was on the app store just exploded with growth and profitability. I feel like that's what's going to happen because as much as there's a bunch of Web3 games in product in production right now and set to re- be released, there's really not that many um, that will be released when this moment comes, you know, call it 50 or 100 or whatever, in my opinion, they're probably all going to get a ton of attention in that moment and probably going to do extremely well. So whoever breaks it and cracks that cookie is great. Um, But betting on any specific one is that super asymmetric reward, you know, type thing where it could go to zero, it could go 100 million X, right? Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't, let me make it clear, I wouldn't buy a coin at all right now. But like what I would be looking at, is um they're called i call them conglomerate chains so like oasis network mythos foundation things that are trying to replicate gala i am much more interested in in publisher tokens than i am in direct game asset tokens but i think people are kind of counting other side out when they they could very well acquire a web 2 game and bring it to market they already tried to make an acquisition of everquest i know that for a fact because they literally stated it yeah and 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 that'll probably be a, a very very compelling arc is taking everquest and slapping it with uh, nfts mmos are obviously going to be really hard to recreate but buying one is is a great idea um and so i'm super bullish on that narrative whenever it comes out uh however i also agree that yeah it'll be publisher tokens like gala but there will also be uh, uh, most likely a lot of these games will launch their tokens on ETH, they'll get popular, and then they'll move to their own chain because they have so much activity, um, and that chain will become an If L1 Magic Eden wins, out, right? they, will not, they will not ever launch on ETH. If Magic Eden gets their way, it won't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I, the, the, long, the road is long and winding with L1s, and, and we've seen that, right? What, what the belief of like the only L1 and the only ETH killer to exist, that has changed and, and evolved rapidly over the years. And so I, can, I expect there to be a continual competition through the ages. But the reality is, is that um, you know, these games will have their opportunity. They'll control the users. And where go the users, go the value. Um, it's really that simple. And so to me, it's really just about sort of keep, like, no one needs to take a bet for full disclosure, I sold most of my ApeCoin when it got airdropped, you know, slowly, um, because I hadn't sold much of my, uh, my board ape, uh, ecosystem. Um, I, you know, I was lucky enough to ride that train. Um, but I didn't really take any profits on it until like the ApeCoin moment. Uh, I lost a lot on other side, hoping that that comes back, uh, full disclosure. Um, but I haven't really been much of a seller of Yuga because of just like the 
the weird nature of how it steamrolled. Um, and yeah, I'm just hoping that in the future, uh, this, you know, whoever cracks the cookie, it'll be good for everyone. I believe there will be just another one of those moments of, you know, illogical growth for the industry that will sort of everyone will, will benefit. That's my belief. But I also believe we'll have tons of time to react to it because if this bear market continues on the way that Nick, um, bearish Nick, uh, believes that it's going to go, uh, then there's probably going to be a period where people are really not trying to ape in and buy assets and the fundamentals explode. And that's going to be a really, really interesting moment. Jonah, the way you said, uh, if Magic Eden has their way, you made it sound like they're trying to have unconsensual sex with the entire NFT space. <laughs> effectively, uh, honestly, effectively, that's exactly what they're doing. They're, take, they're, they're taking the, the, the laurels of these royalties. And quite frankly, no real game development studio is going to stand for this. And Magic Eden makes makes this whole network look so bad that if I'm a We're game publisher right now, I'm not stand. There's We're no, not going to no stand for it. Yeah. So, so, so right now, if this is where it's going, you're not going to see any real games, like in the long, in in the short term at least, be building on ETH or Solana. They're going to go build their own networks because it's guaranteed. Hey, you hear that, Magic Eden? You can suck my. No, the magic. Ma I'm gonna. I'm gonna say this publicly. Magic Eden is a bunch of fucking idiots for making. This okay, decision. Jonah. All right, Jonah. You're going off the rails now. Uh, last thoughts from Spencer. Um, I love how Jonah, Jonah brings like the really good insight and research, and then just needs you to hear exactly what he thinks and, and presents it as a fact and at that, the end. There, now, gotta love it. Just at the end, it's like, okay, yo. So now it's time for me to call out fucking loser <laughs> motherfuckers. Yo, Magic Eden. Yo, screw you. Uh, let, let's name OpenSea. Take a fucking hike. Um, anyone competing with the other side? Uh, you suck. Uh, anyway. I didn't that. say that at all. I think there's a lot of okay. great other side no, competitors. Okay, okay. Uh, we got Spencer for some closing thoughts, and we'll do the giveaway. Spencer. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the like meta like like arguments that's happening right now is is between like how much does value, how much does fundamental value utility matter for asset prices, right? And I think a lot of us hope to see that, you know, it matters how good the game is. It matters, et cetera, right? Um, but I think there's also a view, and this is a little, I think I take more of this other view, which is that, like, people just like to trade stuff, right? And uh, you see this in the stock market. Like, why does Amazon stock have value? It doesn't pay dividends. It's, like, basically a shitty governance token, right? But, like, it's it, you can benchmark it based on, like, kind of how Amazon's doing, and there's, like, some data every once in a while that you get, and, like, there's definitely someone else who wants to buy it, and so, like, there's just like a market, right? And people like to trade markets. I think, you know, crypto and NFTs is a lot of that. It's a, it's mostly a market. People like to trade markets. And there's like news events that happen sometimes with the underlying tech or whatever that drive the market up and down. But I think it's, I just, I don't see the thesis that like fundamental value that any of the market caps in the NFT space and the crypto space are really that highly correlated to actual adoption of the product. I think it's like, as much real as Amazon stock is, which is like not very, it's, it's just based on the idea that someone else wants to trade it at some point. And so I think that actually is my thesis for like, I'm not that huge on crypto games because I think they're too specific in what they deliver. And there's too many metrics where you can say, okay, this game has a thousand users. Therefore, it's like probably not worth a $7 billion market cap, right? Whereas if you look at like these ideas of, okay, how are you building a lifestyle brand? I think that it's much harder to benchmark that success and therefore it will continue to be traded baselessly um, for longer periods of time. And I know that that's like a weird take to have as someone who's long in the NFT space, but I think we, we 
we should just be explicit about it. I think we see a lot of examples where people deliver, like anytime anyone delivers on anything, price goes down, right? And it's because it pops the illusion that we're just trading like random stuff that other people want. Well, yeah. yeah I if, mean, I, that, if I could hop in just really absolutely. quickly on that, yeah. this is something I feel quite passionately about, and it reflects purely how early this space is. Is that if value and actual delivery on value is nuking the floors, that's a reflection of what's being delivered, not the concept of utility. And that is something that I will die on the hill for, and that we will see a game that is fun. I mean, I've I've said this. Uh, more times I'm like sick of hearing myself say it that a fun game is what you need and then you also want to look at games where people value the assets right like what games are people actually buying stuff because that leads to their own sense of identity being more uh, more highly valued right there are a ton of games that have important items in them and those are the important ones there's also a ton of mass market games but on like the mobile casual gaming front which is most of the mobile gaming market like those those aren't like item driven games. Yes, those are like, there are like economics there, but you want to look to me like the magic sauce is a very fun game that a lot of people play and they want to show off their personality and they want to show off who they are in the game. And that is like what the first step of this is. And once that happens and people are aping in and, and really playing the game and, and enjoying that experience, that will form a quote narrative that I think will allow people to trade around as well. And it'll probably get overheated and over extended as well. But that's to me why I'm always like, that's why I think it's still the biggest opportunity is because there's, there's this belief right now amongst the most educated and the most um, avid participants that utility is not the actual goal. And that's me obviously makes me chuckle. Well, I love it. And, and I think what Spencer said is also in line with the idea that art can get these crazy valuations because all it takes is for someone to say it's a masterpiece and it's priceless or for you know a known artist to, to pass away for the valuation to just absolutely pump. Um, so that's, that's the way I'm thinking about that too. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, that's 90 minutes. It flew by. Uh, this was badass. Uh, why don't we do this giveaway? Elio, do you want me to use Twitter pick or did you say you want to just go in the crowd and, and pick something? Or how do you want to do you can, it? You can skip to the end and just t pick me because uh, <laughs> it's pretty clear that I deserve it. You're, you're, you're such a little a little pick-me girl, aren't you, Nick? Um, no, I'm just kidding. My, 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 my wife just taught me that term, so I'm, I'm just using it uh, in, incorrectly. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just going to scroll through the audience and uh, and just pick on someone and, and pick on them. And if they have retweeted, then they will win. And if they haven't, then you know that will be their, their life's biggest mistake. Um, here we go. Well, we got Elio scrolling through. Elio scrolls right now. Forget about Elio trades. This is Elio scrolls for the one ETH giveaway. All right. I found ebo.pcc.eth. He retweeted uh, your tweet, not mine, but you know, we'll go ahead and we'll accept it. I'm going to go ahead and DM you uh, right now. So big congrats to you. You can pick between a full set of imposters NFTs worth about one ETH, or you can pick the one ETH. Obviously, there's a right answer and a wrong answer. I'll let you decide. Awesome. Well, let's invite him to the stage so that he can accept his prize. What a day. Uh, please request to speak. What was his name, Elio? It sounded like ebo.cc or something like that. E-B-B-O-S-N-F-T's is the at handle. E-B-B. Yep, I gotcha. Yep. You got him? All right. I just invited you to speak, amigo. Come on stage to accept your prize. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen... We're going to be doing this show, uh, I think, every day. Uh, 
so, you also, I just wanted to shout out Ebos NFT. You you got a, two choices. You can either give me half an ETH or keep it. And that's the, there's a right and a wrong decision with that one as well. <laughs> if you've watched any mafia movies, everybody's got to pay Nick for protection in the NFT space. Um, it's how Nick operates. I don't know if Ebo's on his laptop or what he's doing that he's not accepting our request to speak, but we'll let it slide because he had retweeted the tweet and he stayed until the end of the show. Well, Elio, thanks for joining for this one and co-hosting. Uh, what'd you think, buddy? First, first Twitter space in the books. Yeah, no, it, it was a great way to uh, to get into the waters. Obviously, big fan of what you guys do, and hopefully I can bring uh, some value to these spaces. And yeah, this was super fun. I'd love to do it again. Shout out to all the West Coasters that tuned in. A big part of doing this show in this time slot was to attract some of the West Coasters. Elio's a West Coaster himself. I used to live in Los Angeles, so shout out to East Hollywood, Culver City, Marina Del Rey, and Redondo Beach. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna throw a little West Coast anthem out there. We'll catch you tomorrow, same time, 9 a.m. PST. See you then.